I'm speaking with Matt Brown, the brother of my preceding guest, Lawrence Brown. Matt, the editor-at-large of Londonist, is probably the most London-obsessed person in the world, reaching parts of the capital others can't reach. In the cause of exploring London, he has waded along the buried river fleet, spent the night in a haunted plague pit, caught a lung infection by climbing Soho's tallest steeple, and walked along the tracks beneath Leicester Square at 2 a.m., Matt has lived in Blackheath, Borough, Greenwich, Weybridge, West Hampstead, Fortune Green, and Chalk Farm. Thanks to the capital's obscene property prices, he's since gone into exile in what he optimistically refers to as the future London borough of Elstree and Boreham Wood. Matt is the author of 12 books, including London Night and Day, Everything You Know About London is Wrong, and the best-selling, award-winning Atlas of Imagined Places. I'd like to start by talking a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? I lived in the north of England for the first half of my life. I grew up in a seaside town called Grimsby, which is not known the world over, but it has a certain amount of fame because for a long time it was, I think, the world's largest, certainly Europe's largest fishing port. And it's still quite famous to this day for its fish and chips. And I believe in Disney World in Florida, they've got a Grimsby fish and chips chip bar there. So I lived there till I was about 18 and and moved off to university. What was your experience of growing up there like? Well, I didn't know any different at the time. We obviously went on holidays and things, but Grimsby was the only town I really knew. I mean, everyone looking back on their childhood, it feels like an idyllic time. And the same growing up there, it felt like a great place to be. There always seemed to be lots to do. I mean, back in the 80s, of course, it was different growing up. People were outdoors more, playing with their friends, probably less parental supervision than we'd give our kids these days. So I had a great time exploring off with my friends all the time. How would you say that experience of growing up there helped to shape you? I mean, it did make me an explorer because my parents were very good at letting me just go off with my mates from quite a young age, probably an irresponsibly young age. And I'd be out all the time on my BMX bike, looking around the place, seeing where different roads led to. And I think it inculcated me with this love of exploring and seeing what's around the next corner, which is something I've still got with me today. You live in London now. Was that something that you aspired to as a child? I'm not sure, you know, I don't think I had aspirations as a child, other than I think I went through the phase of wanting to be an astronaut and all that stuff that kids always do. I don't think I ever thought about where I wanted to be. And even when it came time to choosing universities, I think I was more led by the kind of courses that places offered rather than destinations for the sake of a destination. I almost found myself in London by accident, I guess. I studied in York, a fairly major historic city in the north of England, but a fairly small city. And as part of my course there, I had to do a placement working in industry. So I moved down to London as part of that as a student to work in a publishing house, which is how I got into writing and editing in the first place. And so, yeah, my first real taste of London was not till I was maybe 21. And how has the experience of living in London been? It was a real eye-opener, but in a very positive way. Where I'd grown up, and to a lesser extent in York, where I studied, they're very white locations. Everyone was white, middle class or working class. Saw very few people of ethnic minority backgrounds. Saw very few people of any religious background. I don't think I even met a Christian until I went to university. I mean, Grimsby is very much a working class, mostly atheist sort of place, I guess. So people from different backgrounds just didn't really cross my radar. And moving to London, that was suddenly a huge part of the London experience, being surrounded by people of all different backgrounds same with any big city like Chicago but when you come from a fairly small isolated town in the north of England that was a real eye-opener in a very good way.
And at what point did you really know that London was where you wanted to settle down and make a home? Uh, it turned about to settle down, but I knew immediately I was somewhere I was very happy. I recall very well my first night in London, I was staying with a friend who'd been down there a year or two. And we walked out to the Thames near London Bridge. And there happened to be a really huge electrical storm that night. And we were safely in a pub on the riverside, looking across the Thames to where the skyscrapers are. Um, there weren't so many back in those days, but there's still quite an impressive skyline. And all these streaks of lightning behind the buildings. And it just felt like one of those magical moments, like it was meant to be. It felt just an incredible scenario. You've got the river, you've got the boats, you've got these skyscrapers and the lightning in the background. And that sort of really set me up for getting to know the city better and exploring over the next few years. And obviously there's that romantic side of London, but as a place to live, how do you find London to be? Yeah. I actually had to move out now. So I live just over the border in Hertfordshire, just to the north of London. So I get kind of the best of both worlds. I've got a quiet suburban residential neighbourhood, but I've got London only a 20 minute train ride away. But I lived inside London proper for maybe 15 years. And I loved it. I loved the energy about it. I loved the fact that you could walk out onto your nearest high street and know there'd been 500 or more years of history on that very spot. And that's the thing for me. The magic of London is the, the, the history, the 2000 years almost of people coming and going down the same streets as you. And to this day, I mean, obviously it's a city with problems like any big city. We have problems with pollution, the same kind of crime problems that most big cities have. And of course, we've got the transport network going on strike reasonably regularly at the moment. So there are always these challenges. I've always been fortunate that I've been able to have a fairly decent living standards. I mean, I only live in a flat. I can't afford a house because affording a house in London is almost impossible unless you've inherited the wealth. But it's still a great fun life to lead. And I'm in my 40s now and I still get excited by going into the city every time I do. Now that you're raising a family, have you also passed that love of exploring along to your kids? (laughs) I'm trying to, but any parent will tell you that you can't force feed passion onto kids. They'll find their own way and their own loves. But I do take my kids in as often as I can. And so the eldest has been to quite a lot of the museums. My youngest is only three. So a lot of his childhood has been in lockdown and pandemic problems. So only just starting to emerge from all that. But yeah, they both enjoy going into London. One project I'm doing with them, you know, the, the famous tube map. I get my kids to stand in front of the station at Roundel. We call them Roundel the famous tube symbol. Stand in front of each one of those at every station. I'll take a photograph of them. And then using Photoshop, I'm assembling a tube map with photos of them at every single tube station. It's going to take me two or three years to get around them all, but that's one way we're exploring London in a creative way and going to make a piece of art out of it as well. That sounds really awesome. When you're out and doing that, do you also explore some of the neighborhoods surrounding the stations? Yeah, of course, my kids would never forgive me if we spent the whole day on the tube just taking photographs of roundels. So we do, we go up into the museums and things. But I mean, just spending time on the South Bank. I must have been to the South Bank of London a thousand times in my life, but there's always something new to see. There's always new cafes have opened. There's always new street performers. There's always some new bit of sculpture or something there. There's always something, play fountains and everything. So uh, yeah, we just like hanging out there usually or going to Greenwich for the day. There's endless places in London and every time you go, there's something different. So it's an infinite city. In your work as editor-at-large for Londonist, how does that help to feed also your love of exploring London and learning more about the city? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's been my full-time job now as a proper professional job for 10 or 12 years. And before that, I was doing it as a hobby for five or six years. So I've been doing it 17, 18 years now. And it's just a great opportunity to 
anywhere you've never been in London, I can find an excuse to go visit and write something about it. I've never been to Charles Darwin's house, the great evolutionary theorist. And he lived in London for most of his life, or at least the extreme sort of southern portion of London. And I'm a scientist by training, and I'd never been to Darwin's house. And it's my job to visit bits of London, and it was my job to write about science. So if I'd never been to that house, I thought chances are a lot of our readers won't have been there either. So I just went and visited them. And that's the joy of the job. I can go anywhere I like. I've been down the sewers. I've been up on top of skyscrapers. And even the desk research, I love just leafing through the old newspaper archives online and looking for forgotten stories from London's past. And to be able to do it as a job is just a real privilege. I've turned my hobby into a job and it's something I don't think I could ever walk away from. It's such good fun. Great to hear that with a city like London, you never run out of places to explore. Absolutely not. And as I was saying, places change all the time, but also you've got that vast history to mine. I was looking in the newspaper archives recently and I found a story about how the Vatican almost moved the whole Pope and all of his entourage almost moved to London in the mid 1800s, mid 19th century, sorry, when you had Garibaldi traveling around Italy and the Vatican disagreed with it. So that's a story completely forgotten to history. It's only like newspaper rumors of the day, but it's fun to play around with things like that and to dip into those curious bits of history that have been forgotten. So yeah, it's infinite to explore in the present, but also in the past. And that's what keeps me going. In the course of your exploring, what's some of the most memorable experiences you've had? Oh gosh, I could give days worth of talks on this because I've had the privilege of being in so many places. I think going down into the sewers must be a highlight. You would think not. You'd think that would be a horrible experience. But those sewers were built to an incredible standard by Victorian engineers. They're like cathedrals of brick and sewage down there. They're immense structures, rather beautiful in their own way. Of course, they're slightly smelly and you're walking over somebody's excrement but the experience of being down there where Londoners don't normally get to see wading through buried rivers and sewage pipes and things it was incredible I've done it a few times now and the thrill if that's the right word never quite goes away. Now you've also written a number of books including books about London what is the writing process like in terms of deciding what you're going to write about and then doing the research for that? That's a large question so ideas are the sort of thing you can't plan in advance they just occur to you as and when. And I do a lot of wandering around London, sometimes aimless wandering. I just pick an area and just wander around. And when you're doing that kind of process, that's when ideas occur. You make random connections between things. You think about things in a slightly different way. I think that one of the books I wrote was, it's called Everything You Know About London is Wrong. And it's a kind of myth-busting guide to London. All the stories you might read in the fairly tacky guidebooks or that you might hear from the horror type of tour guide the stories that are just stories and they're not proper history it's sort of teasing apart those stories and looking where the accuracy is and where the myths are for example there's a street the strand in central london where the savoy the famous savoy hotel and theater is located and it's commonly reckoned to be the only street in london where you have to drive on the right as opposed to the left, as we do in this country normally. And it's a good story, and it is true. You do have to drive on the right there, but it's not the only place. There are lots of little places that are similar all over London and the wider country where that's the case. So it's just little stories like that. And the joy is in telling the story, actually, rather than nitpicking it, because these are all fascinating tales. But it's a different way of presenting a guide to London, sort of turning things on its head somewhat. But I'm sort of rambling away from your original question, which was, the writing process and how it happens. Well, the idea generation I just mentioned is just random wandering and making connections in your own mind. But then the writing side of it, 
I've been a professional writer now for 15 or 20 years. So bashing the words out isn't a problem. I can just do it with my eyes closed almost. But I mean, structurally, I like to just do everything from my head as the first draft. I've got assembled information. I've got press releases. I've got research to read and stuff. But I ignore it all in the first draft. I just bash out whatever's in my head to get a quick and easy first draft. And then I pull in my sources and I adapt and edit and change what I've written. That's my process. That's the way I like to do it. Does having the editing experience also help you as a writer? For sure. Although it can inhibit as well, because I trained as a scientific editor. And when you do that, you have to be very precise with language, because if you make a mistake in scientific literature, somebody could get the wrong drug dosage, right? So you've got to be really careful where you put your full stops or your periods, as you'd say in Chicago, and all your punctuation and all your grammar, it's got to be exactly right for an international audience. Um, So When it comes to them writing more frivolous material for Londonist or for a book, trying to loosen up those sharply honed editing skills to make the text flow more smoothly and be more approachable was a bit of a challenge at first when I first started doing Londonist. And because all the writing I'd done was for scientific magazines. But over the years, I tend more now towards that kind of writing than than technical writing. So I no longer have that issue. Do you ever miss doing the technical and scientific writing? Not really. My wife's still in that field, so I see it daily. I kind of missed hearing about the cutting edge science before it's even been published, but I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. I think I've made London my science project, exploring and quantifying London in every way I can imagine. That's my scientific project. So obviously the pandemic over the past couple of years has affected all of us. How has that affected the way in which you experience London and the way in which you do your exploring? Well, it had a huge effect because the town I live in, Boreham Woods, it's actually right next to Elstree Studios where they make things like they made the Star Wars films here, the original Star Wars. So it is a kind of interesting area. I can see the set from the crown out of my window, actually. But the town is kind of cut off. It's surrounded by motorways and big roads. So to walk out of the town is really hard. And certainly to get to London from it is really hard if you can't use public transport because of the pandemic. I was effectively trapped here for a year or so, unable to go into London, except I was able to drive to the very edges of it that was about all I could do and at the same time we had to put Londonist almost on hold because or furlough as we call it here because the website relies on advertisers like museums galleries festivals when all those things are closing down we have no income so we had to kind of close the site down because we couldn't afford to pay for the salaries during the pandemic fortunately we supported by government schemes and things so we got through it but it meant I couldn't explore London and I couldn't even write about London for free Part of the conditions of getting the government funding to pay the salary was that you couldn't then contribute to the website, if that makes sense. So I was sort of stuck, unable to do the love of my life writing about London. So I I was doing it for other outlets and doing a little bit of sort of desk research, but it was frustrating. But I can't complain. I mean, I got through my life and my health, whereas many people didn't. So I'm thankful for that. I'm curious, going forward, what are some of the projects that you have in the pipeline? Well, so one of the other books I did recently was, it's called uh, An Atlas of Imagined Places. And it's a world atlas mapping 5,000 places that don't exist in real life, but do exist in films, TV, literature, and video games. So Gotham City from Batman is a famous example, or Metropolis from Superman. We found 5,000 such places in all the countries of the world. And working with a professional artist made an atlas of those things. It's available now. It's on all the usual outlets and there's a US version as well and that actually won a mapping prize so the publisher was very keen we do a sequel so I'm working on that at the moment and that will be a similar idea but this time we're mapping cities so London is one Chicago is another 
and we're placing in those cities where famous characters lived or famous restaurants from fiction that don't exist in real life. And I've just finished doing Manhattan, for example, and I discovered that the apartment from Friends is right next door to where Hitchcock set Rear Window. So you don't know these kind of things until you start putting them on a map. And that's the joy of this process. So this book should be out in, I think it's July next year. We're still sort of midway through writing it. And I might have to tap your brain about Chicago and get some famous characters who've lived in Chicago for my map. Given the fact that you haven't necessarily written fictional things like that before, has that been fun to kind of delve into that world? Oh, it's enormous fun. Yeah, I wish I could do it all the time, but because books don't pay particularly well. So I have to keep doing, well, I love doing The London Nest anyway, but I have to keep the day job going and I have to do my childcare as well. But I fit it in where I can. And it is just the most fun exercise going through different movies and video games, trying to work out where they've set these things and which character lives where in a city. You have to use all kinds of clues, like uh, it might not be said where their address is or where their house is, but you can use maybe where they shot the thing or where maybe they pick up a utility bill and there's an address at the top of that. Or maybe you can see a famous landmark out the window so you can kind of pinpoint where in the city they live. So we're going through sort of trying to analyze all this stuff and it is enormously fun detective work. That sounds really fascinating. Have you found a lot of sort of geographic inaccuracies in terms of things that don't quite add up? Yeah, especially London set films, you'll often find a character will jump on the tube at a certain stop and then they'll get out two stops later at the other end of the city on a totally different line. And how did they do that? Thor, The Dark World is a good example of that, where he manages to somehow get to Greenwich from Charing Cross in a few seconds. But there are all kinds of examples like that. Yeah, it's quite frustrating, but it's also fun to try and nitpick those things. My background is in urban geography, so I have a hard time watching movies and not paying attention to that and sometimes focusing more on that than on the plot of the movie. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We often take the mickey out of this on Londonist. If a big film set in London comes out, first thing we do is watch it and try and pick all the holes in it and say, how could he have got from A to B? via that route because the bus doesn't go that moon knight the recent marvel series i don't know if you've seen moon knight uh, disney plus but that's incredibly all over the place with its london geography none of it was filmed in london they filmed it elsewhere and then used sleight of hand to make it appear london but the way he gets around town is just nonsense but maybe that's his superpowers kicking in in some way so in closing what are some of the places that you would recommend somebody who's just getting to know london explore Well, I'd always say start with the South Bank. That's a great way to see central London and the sweep of the Thames. And you see across the river, you can see all the different key bits like the square mile where all the skyscrapers are and the West End and Westminster. You'll see most of the famous landmarks that way and get a good sense of it. But the one tip I'd give, there's something called New London Architecture. It's like a venue. It's on Tottenham Court Road or just off Tottenham Court Road. And they have this huge map of London, a three-dimensional map of London. And it's a great place to just go and walk around this map and just get a sense of your bearings and scale and how different places hook up. And that's a great grounding for just working out where you're going to explore next and which bits of the city you haven't seen yet. So that's a kind of prep activity to do. But then fun places to go. I'd always recommend a day out in Greenwich. You've got the great view from the top of the Observatory Hill, the observatory itself, of course, which is the centre of space and time. And then you've got the Maritime Museum down below. And you've got all these historic streets around there to explore. Some very good pubs as well, if you want to experience a traditional British pub. Greenwich on the river there. And you can get there by riverboat. There are lots of riverboat services. So it's also a fun place to get to in the first place as well. So that'd be my tip. Thank you for taking time to talk today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. And you. Yeah, yeah.